Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, the show on Racing UK free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. David Yates, Luck on Sunday regular, and Emma Lavelle join us in the studio. Emma, great to see you again. Thank you very much for coming in, in the midst of a bit of a purple patch. Yeah, no, it's been great. It's been a really good time and, and really nice to be here. And with a lot of trainers rather um, sort of anxious about where they're going to run their horses, when they're going to run their horses, you seem to have managed to sort of keep running most of your quite nice ones and they're maintaining their form well. Touch wood anyway. I mean, there's the same anxiety and, and a lot of the, the soft ground horses haven't got out yet. Um, it has not been an easy autumn, mm. um, but it's, uh, you know, they're, they're in good form. And, and while they are and there are races out there for them, we'll, we'll keep running. Yeah, it's good to see you. Good weekend. Uh, yes, very interesting. I went to Newbury, uh, probably should have gone to Newcastle to watch the uh, Fighting Fifth, which I, I thought served up a, a surprising spectacle really I don't think I think plenty of people might have thought that Bouverdere would have too much speed for Sam Crow but I don't think people thought that Barry Geraghty would be sitting there like that running from mm. the penultimate flight to the final obstacle while Sam Crow was being ridden along for all 300,000 euro that he's worth <laughs> <laughs> well he may still be worth three, if you sold him now you'd probably get more than 300,000 euro definitely him, definitely but he may not be the second coming of Jesus Christ he may have been right but if he were he would be worth significantly more than 300,000 euro wouldn't he yes yeah, absolutely Absolutely. Uh, did, you, did you watch the boxing overnight? Listen to the boxing? No, I didn't. I was just prompted uh, by the biblical reference, as Tyson Fury mentioned uh, our Lord quite a few no, times in the I, aftermath. I mean, it, it's a, a, an object lesson in being careful what you wish for. I didn't want either boxer to win. I, I thought neither of them behaved with much dignity in the, um, in the run-up to the fight, and it, it's a draw. So I got my wish, but... It's an unsatisfactory result, isn't it? You know, the, the people like Anthony Joshua can behave with, with class and dignity in the run-up to fights. All this trash-talking, it's just so, it's so passé now, isn't it? We've, we've heard it for decades and decades. It just washes over us. It wouldn't Find some new way of, of promoting a fight rather than getting them to call each other names. Would it work in racing, do you think, Emma, if we had you know, Nichols and Henderson trash-talking before the Gold Cup or something similar? It would make for some very different entertainment, but I'm not sure it would be the answer, <laughs> to be honest, no. I'm not sure it would be the answer either. We'll talk about the Fighting Fifth and, of course, the Labrox Trophy in a few moments' time. But let's take you back eight days to when Emma was winning the big hurdle race at Haydock Park with, with Paisley Park. We spoke on the phone about this last, uh, last weekend, but... Um, it's well worth reflecting on this again. There he is in, in fifth and, and not really threatening to get significantly involved at this point, but he does keep galloping this horse. He does. He's a, he's a lovely, lovely horse. He's, a, um, he's probably the best will in the world. He's maybe not the most intelligent, and it kind of takes a little bit of time for everything just to, to click in. Um, he has got a lot of ability, um, and I suppose in fairness to him, he hasn't had a huge amount of experience. Um, but um, I, it's unbelievable how well he's come out of this race. Um, so I think in his mind, he was probably only racing for, mm. for about a furlong and a half. Um, but he has, he's come out of it really well. And, and you know, he is, he's a really exciting horse for us. And um, you know, look forward to the next stages. And given the relative test of speed that Haydock puts on horses now, do you think he can improve, granted, an even greater test of stamina? Because he's pretty unexposed. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, the question we had going into that race would, was, would he would stay? Would he stay? You yeah. know, he won over two and a half miles round Aintree. Um, and, and, and that was our question. And I think he, he undoubtedly proved that he does, mm. he does stay. I think there's, there's a lot of improvement to come from him 
in lots of different ways. You know, I think experience from from racing, um, and I think uh, you know the knowledge that he stays. You know, I think that's a that's a very a positive thing. We're still learning about him, um, but um, yeah, no, I think he's I think he's smart, and I think you know we haven't seen the best of him yet. Uh, is he the horse on whom you're pinning most hopes, if you like? Is he the the horse who who is in the forefront of your mind when you wake up in the morning? That's a very um, unfair question. Yeah. I realise that. <laughs> all your owners all the watching. other owners are watching. Yeah. No, I think um, look, of course he's exciting, and of course you 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 kind of you're sitting there thinking that this is this is a horse that can take us onto the mm. to the big stage and and do all of uh, you know you know, enhance our profile, if you like. But there are plenty of others that are just um, showing the right signs at home, and um, an ice horse down the highway who won at Lingfield. Mm-hmm. Um, first time up for us he'll run in the winter novice at Sandown on Friday you know he's another exciting horse um but um funnily enough the good ones aren't for me anyway the ones that I wake up thinking about I'm thinking right that's great they're fine it's the ones that I just haven't found the key for or you're thinking god is that going to be all right in the morning that kind of thing so so actually you know if I'm waking up in the morning the good ones are put there and that gives you a nice warm feeling it's the ones there that are, are sitting there that you're worried about that are, that are making you scratch your head for sure for, I know the, the horse who I mean a horse like Sizing Tennessee who won yesterday for Colin Tizard he must have had a succession of trainers scratching their heads over time but it just shows you at 10 rising and a, a, 11 you can still suddenly land up on a 140 grounds worth of, of big race on a Saturday I think the way things are now um, with um, with national hunt racing, we're all in a, such a rush to get these horses through their careers. You know, they'll run in their bumpers at four, four or five. They'll be running in novice hurdles. If they're good enough to be in graded races, great. If they're not, they're in handicaps. You get to the top of your handicap rating. Um, so you go quick. Right now, we're going to go novice chasing mm. as a five, six-year-old. Get to the top of your racing there. You know, you're pretty much finished by seven yeah. if you're not careful. And I think the one thing about national hunt racing is is the enjoyment of seeing these horses year on year coming back and doing their stuff. And and you look at something like Sizing Tennessee and, and you think, actually, some of these big chasers, they're just getting better exactly. at that 10-11 stage. And so many of them have almost been written off by then and actually never got the chance to, to show that when they were that bit older, they mm. were going to be even better than they had been when they are younger. So, you know, I do think there has been this this kind of rush to get these horses through their their careers you know suddenly we're buying three-year-olds trying to run them in juvenile bumpers and you know i think a lot of these old-fashioned types take time and it, patience was a virtue with this horse yeah he, he got his jumping together he's with a trainer now who's very good with this type of horse and he won by a long way in the end under tom skudamore and it was a one-two for the tizards uh, dave this was not the deepest running of this race of the ladbrooks trophy that is fair to say but he won it by a, a very long way, and he becomes a slightly different proposition. Yeah, he did indeed. Uh, obviously, the, the stable won this race with Native River uh, two years ago. He then went on to win the Welsh Grand National at Chepstow. Uh, obviously, different profile of horse, these, because uh, Native River was very much on the up at, at, uh, at that point, and this, this horse has a, had a, more bumps in the road, I think it's fair to say. But... He won this in really good style, didn't he? Um, elegant escape makes a one-two for the stable. And you know, I, th- I thought coming into this winter, a couple of the the Tizard stars, some of them aren't competitive, aren't with us anymore. Um, obviously, Native River, the reigning gold cup winner, Thistlecrack coming back, and it, this is very much his last chance saloon season, I think, in terms of winning a, a gold cup. Anyway, um, but. They've had a fantastic time of it the last few weeks, and obviously yeah. to uh, to saddle the, the first two home in a race like this is a, an absolutely marquee moment. With horses who, let's face it, people hadn't exactly been shouting from the rooftops at the beginning of the season, have uh, the one-two in the second biggest handicap chase of the season is quite something, and three of the first five as well. And I am pleased to say, I hope that uh, Joe Tizard joins us on the line. We haven't got him just yet, but we will come back to them. It's been quite remarkable, the, the development of the Tizard stable ever in the last two or three years. Oh, absolutely. And, and fantastic. You know, they, um, they're great, hard-working family. The whole family are involved. And, um, and I think it's, um, it's kind of it's great for, for the sport to have another powerhouse mm. emerging, if you like, rather than, um, you know, I think it's 
you need to spread these horses around and I think um, I think it's great that uh, that it is it is happening to a degree anyway and 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 good luck to them you know they've got great supporters and you know lovely horses three of the first five home in yesterday's race Joe Tizard is on the line now Joe good morning morning Nick well that's a a great result and we were just saying it's hardly as though sizing Tennessee was a, a horse that everybody was shouting from the rooftops at the beginning of the season but He's, he's won that remarkably well. I mean, to what extent did he surprise you? Um, well, he, he, of course he surprised us, but he was, he was in the race because, because he ticked mm. a lot of boxes for yeah. us as well. Um, I mean, Tom, Tom Skew was excited first thing yesterday morning, and then I picked up a saddle for him for the second race, and he, he got more and more bullish as the day went on. You know, he, he was reading all the form lines and, and gave him a great chance. But, um... Uh, Let's, let's, not, let's not tell ourselves that we, that we were expecting him to, to go and do it in the, in the fashion he did. You know, if you'd lined him an elegant escape up beforehand and tried to rationally assess their chances, could you have imagined as big a gulf between them as there was at the line? No, de definitely not. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure elegant escape completely ran his race. I mean, he looked, he looked one, of the, one of the first of, of our three, beaten halfway down the back, and it was sort of to his credit that he stayed on the world to be second. Now, he is a thorough stayer, isn't he? Yeah, absolutely. He's, um, you know, he's got he's got all of the nationals like it'll be his targets from now on. I think, you know, but they've both got Welsh national entries. But um, the elegant escape, especially, sort of wrote his credentials for that yesterday. I don't know if you just heard Emma, Emma Lavelle, one of our, our studio guests today, and Emma was saying that sometimes we're in such a rush with these young horses, but actually, oftentimes, the, the more old-fashioned horses just take a bit of time to, to develop. Is it possible that sizing Tennessee is, is getting better rising 11? Um, I'm sure he is. I mean, he's had leg injuries. That's what, before he joined us, that's what, um, that's what sort of held him back to be, to be a nine-year-old novice last year. Um, but, but certainly, he, he progressed the whole way through the season with us last year, and, and certainly yesterday seemed to be his, his best ever performance. But um, I mean, <laughs> nowadays, rising, rising sort of eleven, he mm. was sort of running out of time with him a little bit. Well, you might be. You might be still quite low mileage, isn't he? Welsh National looks the looks the obvious next target you were talking about yesterday. Would you expect him to to turn up in the Gold Cup at the end of the year? Um. Well, he, he sort of turns up in the equation now. We weren't we weren't thinking that route with him before that, but um, but we also thought there was a, a long distance handicap in him of, of some degree, not necessarily the the Labrooks, but um, but but thought he was certainly going to be competitive in those long distance handicaps. And you know, I think he's I think he's given himself a, a grand little target as well. Uh, your father Colin was saying yesterday, and uh, somewhat tongue in cheek, but but we can all take it quite seriously. I'm not bad at training these these old staying chasers. We know that your team is very good at training all types of horse. But is there something about the the three mile chaser, the three mile plus chaser, that you particularly enjoy uh, training, or you think particularly suits the way you do things? Uh, certainly, certainly, what we try to buy all the time. We didn't we didn't buy this horse, but. Um, when we buy a store horse, we're we're, we're looking to, to jump a fence in with the ultimate target, the Gold Cup. And um, there's no the fact that we we like big big horses, and, and ultimately they end up they end up being the, the three milers more than a few miles. But I, we ran one in the fighting fifth yesterday because we're trying to to also have a champion hurdle. So it's not it's something that we're trying to to we want a bit of everything. And, and who could blame you? You ran Vision to Flow in the in the fighting fifth. How, how did you rate his run? Well, he's he's not he's, he ran he ran a fine race, but he's, he's not. I don't think he's been a champion hurdle, and it wouldn't surprise us if we we didn't go back chasing with him. To be honest, he's a, a pretty talented horse, though, isn't he? Yeah, no, he's a lovely horse, and he's only young, so he's uh, he's only got he's got plenty of time, and um, um, we just thought we'd give him a chance to see if he's champion hurdle. But, um, but I think I think he's going to be a better chaser. Uh, talking of young chasers with with lots of promise, let's talk about Santini yesterday because I thought in a in, in a novice chaser, Emma, this was everything you could everything you could want. Oh, he looks so smart, and the same, you know, last year over hurdles, um, you know, he just every time they needed him, he just stepped up and off he went, and I I I, I was very very impressed with him today, uh, yesterday even. Mm. Um, 
and you know how he put distance between him and the second at the end. I I think he's a very very good horse. He's a very sort of complete, uncomplicated horse. Isn't mm, he? he is. You know, he, he's not keen. He just gets on with it, and you know, when you ask him to go away, he seems to just go and do it. Um, you know, I think he's. Yeah, he looks he looks a very a very smart smart horse going forward. Plenty of size, plenty of scope, and like you say, just completely uncomplicated. And the news line, Dave, from yesterday, Nicky Henderson's across the card five-timer. Uh, after a day on Friday when people were saying, oh, Nicky Henderson hasn't had a winner at Newbury, it's disaster, all his horses need the run, and suddenly they all come out and win. I think a few people were wondering whether the stable was quite uh, firing at a 110%, but yesterday this was the emphatic answer, wasn't it? Um, he looks... It, it, he. He looks such a promising horse. This he was very good. He was top class as a as a novice over hurdles. Only defeat was that third at Cheltenham. I wondered where his name came from. As fans of the bill, Eddie Santini, who was one of the coppers who went uh, <laughs> off the rails and became a badger. Yeah. I'm afraid that he met a sticky end. Um, so but, have you uh, confirmed with with Richard and Lizzie Kelvin Hughes I, that they named the horse I, after I a from the bill? I haven't. But but the equine version is a lot more straightforward and a, a lot more honest. And let's hope he's got a much brighter future. <laughs> Half brother to Tony Stamp and Reg Hollis. Should we stop there? Right. The Jerry Field and Hurdle, as we still know it, uh, was won by quite a talented horse called Global Citizen, trained by Ben Pauling, who had a fine weekend. Global Citizen defied top weight, and he did so uh, with his heart on his sleeve. And again, Emma, it was difficult not to like this. For all that he only won by a narrow margin, it was the sort of middle part of the race that was the impressive bit of it. Yeah, absolutely. Funnily enough, I, Ben will probably tell you differently. I always thought this was a horse that wanted slightly better ground mm. than this as well. So I was kind of even more impressed by that, that he'd, he'd done it on, on, on the softer surface. Um, but exactly, he's a strong traveller. Um, he, you know, I think, like you say, wears his heart on his sleeve out there. Um, but I thought this was a good performance. He hangs on from Lisp. It was a good day for the owners of Lisp, who'd earlier won with, with Santini. But here, Global Citizen's got every every horse in trouble, and it's hard not to think, Dave, he's quite clearly the best. Well, he sort of exploded onto the scene, didn't he, uh, for Ben Pauling, previously with John Joe O'Neill, when he took the, the dovecut novices hurdle apart, didn't he, at Kempton in mm. February. Then disappointed, moved up to the top level at Aintree. Uh, he did plenty of running from the front at Ascot, and we did a, a verdict here and saying, what, this global citizen was very keen and he must be followed. Did I tip him yesterday? No, because I shared your concerns, Emma, about the ground. I thought that maybe, whereas at Ascot, the ground would have been perfect for Global Citizen. Just felt yesterday it had uh, it had gone a bit soft, but he's a he's really picked up here, hasn't he? And yeah. and, and found uh, found his high level again. Well, with that in mind, let's talk to the trainer Ben Pauling, who joins us now. Ben, good morning. Morning. How are you? Very well indeed. Uh, and a, a sort of imagine you're feeling quite emotionally wrung out after the weekend, aren't you? Yeah, it's been a bit of an up and a down. It has. Um, at the same time, it's been uh, great fun to uh, have some successes, but also calling into a fabulous horse that is back here in one piece this morning. That's right. So you've retired Bartus Hill. You had to take Willoughby Court out on Friday because of a, an injury that he'd incurred. You won with a newcomer in Bright Forecast. You've won with your, one of your stable stars uh, as well, Global Citizen. Um, let's talk about Global Citizen first because we're having a look at him. Um, Dave and Emma, both of the opinion maybe that the better ground is going to bring about an even better performance. Is that a, a view you share? Very much so. Um... You know, we've we got the hair breath, his full brother, and he's again another horse that seems to be able to act on the softer ground these days, but um, it's definitely one that will enjoy a sounder surface, and this lad even more so. Um, I mean, we obviously at Aintree were very disappointed that Daryl reported him that day not to go a yard in the ground, and I, I must say I was very unsure about whether I was going to run this until the absolute last minute yesterday, uh, and I actually turned up thinking I wouldn't. Um, and then I don't know what came over me, but something did, and I thought I'd give it a go, and, 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 and I'm delighted we did. Well, you're nothing if not bold. There was some very impressive moments in the race, both in terms of the way he travelled and the way he jumped. Because he's won the Jerry Field and off top weight, you think, well, he's got to go down the championship route now. Is that the way you're thinking? Yeah, very much so. We've always, I mean, I've always, ever since I took control of this horse back in January, I, I've always thought he was pretty spectacular. Um, but he's he's a very very good workhorse, 
uh, an electric over his hurdle. Um, and so I, I I really kept him over hurdle this year. Um, actually, going back to what Emma's just been talking about, because I'm not in any rush to really uh, finish his career before it's even started. And I thought seeing if we could actually get him to, to be a top-class two-mile hurdle would be quite good fun this season. And... Um, so came into you know started the season hoping hoping he'd be that we missed Kempton uh, we you know did far too much in the early stages at Ascot and blew up two out um, and then you know the elite came a bit quick um, and then amazingly actually he he went and somehow whacked his joint uh, probably two and a half weeks ago and was in his box for nine days so I've only actually had a week of preparation with this horse. Uh, leading up to this race as well, which I think makes it even mm. more impressive because I know how much improvement there will be on better ground and obviously when he's when he's A1. We're talking of jumping accuracy, but anything but slow. Yesterday's superstar, Boomer Dare. Let's round off the review of yesterday where we started, really, and just pick out some of the headlines for you here. Um, to what extent did did the way he won surprise you, Emma? Or did you just think, well, he's just going to brush these aside? This is the. Um, I wanted to show you this because this is Newsboys copy. From the Sunday Mirror, who dares wins? Hendo, I was ready for a bloody nose, but Boob's a champ. I don't write the headlines or the subtext. <laughs> Although I think that's quite a good one. Who I dares do too. wins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. So, <laughs> to what to, to to what to what extent did did it surprise you the ease with which he dismissed them, or not at all? Um, I think he's I think he's just a sensational horse. How he travels, how he does it. Um, you know, and one that came back from chasing to running mm. over hurdles, and thank goodness, you know, wow. just just phenomenal. Uh, surprised, um, you know, it, it was a proper test for Sam Crow. Mm. Uh, he'd had that one race under his belt, which meant that you were likely to see the the real Sam Crow. Um, I thought, and even just looking at the other horses that were behind, how how easily he just brushed everything aside. <laughs> He's always looked a good horse, I, I, I feel, anyway. He's almost getting frightening at his hurdles now. I mean, I, I know he was frightening over fences the twice they tried him, and he won both times, but he was scary a couple of times yesterday. I mean, most notably at the last, but he's so fast. Well, he made a mess at the last, didn't he? I mean, I think that um, we tend to... Uh, we, we often talk about great jumpers in steeplechasing, and we, we sometimes brush over how important it is for horses... Uh, top class hurdlers to spend so one of my favourite horses of the past Morley Street you yeah. just just you didn't didn't seem to spend much time in the air at all same with this horse um, thunderously impressive Somerville boy I wouldn't give up on him I don't think the race was run to suit I don't I, I think personally that Sam Crow isn't a two mile hurdler I think he's probably a three mile chaser and I think that they're probably uh, I think it's a very sporting decision and a laudable decision to to aim at the champion hurdle but I think it's probably the wrong decision. I was privileged to be at Seven Barrows on the morning of the champion hurdle uh, this spring. Were and you? Uh, Indeed. And when th th there was concern uh, with, as, as Nicky Henderson mentioned yesterday, we have a dream that the, the juvenile hurdler had a bug. He lives next door to Bouverdere. And in the event, he wasn't that impressive. He beat Mellon ahead. He was odds on. And he was the first of the seven barrows. Holy Trinity, of course, might bite. Went very close to completing the threesome uh, without your in-between. Um, and I think maybe we, we thought we were... Looking at yesterday's race through the prism of that very hard-fought champion hurdle win, maybe thinking, well, maybe this horse, He's a bit maybe we've seen the mm. best of him. You know, it's very, very rare for horses to win three champion hurdles. See you then in what 1987 yeah. was was the last, um, and. I think he set the record straight yesterday, and how? But hang on, Isterbrack was the last one. Oh, I'm sorry, Isterbrack. Yes, he of was. Course. You were right. He nearly won four. He was. He? he was the last one trained by Nicky Henderson yes, to win indeed. three. Uh, Thank like goodness I'm, I put Nicky Henderson in my cover. Completely forgot about Isterbrack. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Luck on Sunday. Proudly sponsored by Albasti Equiwell Dubai. Delighted to be joined back here in the Luck on Sunday studio by another man who's spending time with us here at Racing UK. And perhaps, who knows, with Racing TV after January the 1st, Mikey Ennis, who's been with us at Newbury the last couple of days. Uh, Mikey on the JET scheme, the Jockeys Employment Training Scheme, but also a man who's worked for the Pipes, David Pipe, 
and Martin Pipe down there as well at the same time. John Ferguson, Godolphin. It's been a, a very interesting and exciting range of people you've worked for, Mikey. Why, why the change? Why the change now? Well, you know, it's just to try and, you know, I'm very all about, you know, keeping things progressive and, you know, all about personal development. And it's, it's just really, really great to be given the opportunities by RNG and RUK and, and Jets backing all that up. You know, it's all about the future. So I just want to keep things up really mobile and fantastic insight into the, this whole world of media, you know. Well, we'll talk a little bit about the Jets and, and, and how it's been important to you and other people in a, in a few moments' time. But I want to talk a little bit about your your background and, and how it all started. Because, as I said, you've written for some fantastic people and you've had a, a rich and, and pretty varied career in, in a short space of time. How many winners did you write in the end? I can't even remember. Numerically, very poor, relatively. But I was, like you say, so lucky to have ridden for some amazing trainers and ridden some amazing horses, had some brilliant days out, you know, riding in big races for the pipes. Um, I've no idea how I managed to ever ride a horse for Godolphin in a race. These kind of things were all just, just dreams for me, you know. So um, just an amazing, amazing time that I've had. I worked quite hard for it, you know. Um, I think that's what, what got me anywhere and got me anything out of it at all. But I really enjoyed every, every single part of that. Um, so take me from zero to, to the pipes. Yeah, so I, um, I had ridden ponies and whatnot as a kid, um, and as most jockeys had. But um, I didn't fall quite naturally into racing. I left school, and my mother's best intentions directed me off to get a, either go to uni or get mm -hmm. a trade or do something. So I endeavoured into a four-year apprenticeship as a carpenter and joiner. I really wanted to be a jockey. That was all I wanted to do. But my mum was right, you know, go and do something else. Mm. Um, so I'd done, Did, done were that. You, were you good at carpentry and joinery? I was all right. It would have been fantastic. But I've an interest in being creative and physical stuff's kind of... You know, it suits me well. Um, so I went off and I'd done that, watched all the racing as much as I could. I was always trying to drag all my fellow, um, my fellow pals around building sites into the bookies to watch races and get people into racing and stuff. And where exactly was home? Uh, Edinburgh area, so sort of Alex Steedman country, just south of there. He'd be delighted um, to hear you call it that. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> it sure is. Um, I was unaware of where he was from until we met one day when he interviewed me up at, up at Haydock, I think. So... Um, so I've I done a lot of that. I worked basically in sort of property development and whatnot. Um, had a little stint at Ferdy Murphy's in 2002, I think it was, only six months, and I bailed back into the real world. Started working for myself um, as a carpenter, property developer. Uh, that was great fun, but I wasn't getting where I wanted to be. I still wanted to be a jockey, and I think it was at a dinner party when I was about 25. Uh, one of my pals who had been dragging along to the bookie said to me, you told me you were going to be a jockey. You may as well have said you were going to be an astronaut. Um, and I said, no, and that was it. I think the next day I went down, sold all my tools. George Foster, who's a great man and a good trainer, had just moved to Edinburgh area at the yeah. time to start his training career. And I went up to George's and I turned up literally as a carpenter and said I want to be a jockey, or I'm going to be a jockey, I think. So that's how it started. And George was really good, gave me a spin, got point to pointing that winter from there, always with the mind of heading down south you know, mm. to, try and, to try and ride for people like the pipes. So I moved down, worked for Sarah Humphrey for a bit, I had my first few rides down south, that was really good. And then off to the pipes for three years, which was magnificent. And um, yeah, it, It's an amazing story, because so few people at the age of 25 would pack up what looks to be quite a promising career and say, I'm off, I'm off to be a jockey. To what extent were you taking stock of the risk? Or uh, not really? I was not at all. No, 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 I didn't care about that at all. I mean, I guess I thought, you know, you, you can earn reasonable money in property development and whatnot, and I always felt confident in my abilities to go and do that again. So I suppose, in a sense, I had nothing to lose. Mm. And it was just pure passion, and waking up in the morning not wanting to go to work and hammer nails into bits of wood. Um, you know, I just couldn't do that anymore. I had to, I had to have a crack at it, win, lose, or draw. So um, I'm so pleased I did, because it's, it's just been a fantastic sort of roller coaster over the over the past few years and it's not over yet you know so how long were you at the pipes three years with the pipes mm -hmm. um and what was it like it was an amazing time and when when i got there we still had horses like grand crew was at his best dynast was a novice he was just getting going i got to ride horses like junior and ashkazar and buena vista and these kind of horses and it was just incredible being surrounded by that level of professionalism both from from mr pipe and david and you know Jockeys like Scoo and Conor O'Farrell was there at the time, Kieran Edgar, and lots of really good mm. jockeys. That really brings you on, um, teaches you to be better, and you, you just push yourself to the limit. What was the regime like there? What was the atmosphere like? 
It was quite intense, you know. We had a lot of horses then still, you know, we were 150 plus yard, um, so things were pretty extreme, you know, and those conversations with David in the morning before you went off to ride were, were quite intense and nervous times, but, um, you know, they put a bit of faith in you here and there, and, you know, hopefully I rewarded them a couple of times, and uh, I appreciate the spins I got off them, and things like, I rode a winner for, <clears throat> pardon me, for the late David Johnson at Cheltenham, that was my first winner for Pipes, mm -hmm. and I dreamt of riding in those colours, any horse, never mind the winner at Cheltenham. You know that's just a totally incredible thing to have achieved for me. You know, um, and did you get any any insight into into the influence that that Martin Pipe had on the on the yard at the time? Did you did you have much contact with him? Yeah, Mister Pipe was always around. He was really fantastic. Um, question everything he told me one day, and I think little did he know that I already was questioning absolutely everything that he was doing. But he was a great man to have to ask about races. I remember the first time I rode in the Welsh National. We went off and watched all his Welsh national runners in, back in Pond House, you know, and that reference point was just amazing. You know, we could talk about all his achievements and whatnot, and he's done everything, hasn't he? So it was, it was a great, great time there. Well, re he essentially remodelled the game. He absolutely did, yeah. He just pushed things to the limit. You know, he's a very open-minded guy, and he's, he's a very free thinker, and those things for me are, are quite inspirational, you know. So when did you know the time had come to move on? Well... Again, back to, the, to Martin Pipe, one day, it was that sort of time of year where jump jockeys get a bit bored, summer's coming along, and you can think, oh, here we go again. And I think I'd just done sort of 9-7. Yeah, when I won the Midlands National, I'd done 9-7 that day, and I thought, actually, I could push the weight thing a bit further. Let's try and have a spin on the flat. And I spoke to Mr Pipe about this, and he said, that's ridiculous. Who's going to give you rides on the flat? So as soon as he said that to me, I thought, right, well, I'm going to get rides on the flat now. So off I went on a little crusade to try and lose another half a stone, which which I'd done, and, and thankfully managed to, to even ride a win for him on the flat. That was great. So, um, Are you the world's most cussed and contrary human being? It sounds like any time you're challenged, you will, uh, you well, will try and prove people wrong. It's a, great, it's a great way to push yourself, isn't it, when someone says that you, you can't, can't do, do something. You know, that's, that's driven many, many great people to do things. I'm one of those. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good incentive to try, and, to try and push yourself, isn't it? To off you went to Newmarket. Yeah, so I'd, I'd, I'd sort of built a little relationship with John Ferguson. I had been going back there in his first couple of years um, when he started training, riding out in the summer and whatnot. Um, so I'd been, I'd, I, luckily enough, got on Purple Bay, I think, one day for him. First ride I had for him, and he won the summer hurdle really, really well. And at the same sort of time, I was thinking about riding on the flat. Um, and I remember I said to John, look, I'm really considering this now, moving on into flat racing put this hurdles thing behind me. I think I just had a fall at Sedgefield or something mm. like that. And I thought, no, could you get me away for the winter? What would you recommend? He says, of course, will you, you know, you could go out to see Charlie in Dubai. Um, but will you ride Purple Bay for me in the Elite Hurdle before you go? And I said, of course I will, yeah. So we done that and then off we went. He won the Elite Hurdle, went off to work for Charlie and that's how things got rolling with Godolphin out there. Had a few rides at Maidan as well. Uh, when, when, you, when you won on Purple Bay, the, the elite hurdle, did, did you think, well, maybe I shouldn't go to Dubai? Maybe, maybe I should hang around and ride a few more big winners over jumps? Or had you already set your heart on, on doing the, the Godolphin thing by then? Um, I had kind of set my heart on trying my best to become a flat jockey and maintaining the weight. It was really, really hard work. Um, and I was doing things kind of the right way initially. And I was, I was really loving it, just going out to ride in races. You know, at Maidan, who wouldn't want to do that? I was riding against the top, and I felt miles out of my depth. I know I kind of was, but I was still getting those opportunities, which were fantastic. And um, I think I managed to achieve a bit of black type on the flat, thanks to Little Empire Storm, who'd been placed in Champions Day and, and out there in Dubai as well. Um, How did you win this? Somebody must have told you you couldn't win. Yeah, well, it, the horse just wanted a little bit further, and he'd done this when, he, when I rode him in... Um, when I rode him at Market Raisin, he kind of he just kind of came off the bridle a little bit. He's a t typical flat horse, and he just kind of needed a bit of coaxing back onto the bridle to get running again. I really wish Irving hadn't fallen that day because I know I would have beaten him anyway. But I mean, look <laughs> at the other horses he beat here. Um, Rock on Ruby won yeah. his next race after that. I mean, just imagine riding a winner that beat Rock on Ruby. Just just amazing.
Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. One of the heroes of the jump season so far, Baron Alka, who put in that swashbuckling display to win the Bet Victor Gold Cup at Cheltenham a fortnight ago, and he heads back there for the Caspian Caviar Gold Cup a fortnight from now. He, of course, is trained by Gary Moore. He was ridden by son Jamie. He was due to be ridden by his other son, Josh. And Nick Lightfoot has been talking with Josh Moore. Came at a great time of year. Um, it's, to me, like, it's the... It's one of the hardest handicaps of the year to win. It's the, one, the first one of the year that everyone sort of targets. And we were very lucky that we had the right horse for the job. Um, he'd shown his form over the track in the past. Um, and he'd come back from injury at Chepstow with a good run after 18 months off. I mean, you're always concerned whether they're going to back it up that second run back, you know. But he did it very well. And, it, you know, it was, just, it was great that he won when he did. It, it couldn't... It's, it, you always want to win the big races at the beginning of the season because it sort of sets you off on your way as much as you want to win at the end of the season. But, you know, it's good to have... gives a bit of momentum up and gets a bit of confidence behind the horses and everyone involved, I think. So it, it was good. And the natural progression would be to take him to the Caspian uh, Caviar. Not, not too many horses have done the double. I suppose you think of the, the very good exotic dancer a few years ago. Um, he goes on to the new course, but we've talked about that. And, and you said that the new course shouldn't, shouldn't prove any issue for him. He's got form on it. Yeah, I believe he was second uh, as a novice there in, in a novice chase behind Whisper, giving him weight, which is good form. And he also was second at the festival in the plate um, over, over the course and distance giving weight to a very well handicapped horse at the time and rose to respect. <laughs> so, you know, he's, the, the, the change of track shouldn't be an issue, that's for sure. The, the one thing to remember him is he's a, he's a horse that's got heart, he gets out in a rhythm, jumps along, gallops along, and he, he, he gives his all, you know. So it's, he, he, he's, a, he's a horse that complications... He, he, there is no complications with him in the sense that conditions shouldn't seem to matter. Do you think he's he's got that little... He has... I mean, he's not had that much racing, particularly over fences for a horse of his age. Do you think that each run he's had back... I know he, he put up a massive performance at Cheltenham, but might that have brought him on a little bit more? It, it could well have done. Like, I'm a believer that horses, they do better with racing in a season, you know? Yeah. You know, they, I, I think they improve for a run until they get to a point where they've had too much for the year, you know? Um, and when they're in form... Like they'll say, mate, hey, while the sun shines, and ho hopefully that will apply with him. He ran in the silly arse, didn't he, um, a couple of seasons ago as a novice, and he, and he acquitted himself well. Do you think he? Do you think by the end of the season he might be in pattern races? You, he certainly. You'd think he'd get on that way, you know. As I say, he's he's a very straightforward horse, and he'll run his race, and maybe whether he'd lack the class to win a pattern race, but show up and give it a good go he definitely would and you know he'd probably at the end of the year you'd be thinking you'd pitch him in one and see how he gets on for sure what did Jamie say when he came back after that because I suppose well 18 went out he went from the front and, and none of the the drama behind was was ever anywhere near him and only six came home what did, did Jay, was Jamie aware of what was going on behind him uh, I'm not sure he was but he was out in his rhythm in front jumping from yeah. fence to fence doing what the horse does and you know you, you get you get it's amazing on good ground when they're going fast how important it is not to miss a beat and that showed yeah. in that race you know and little interferences here and horses getting brought down and that he avoided all that out in front and um, you know he, he he done all he could and that's the thing with him he found his found his rhythm and probably Jamie wasn't aware of what was going on there <laughs> Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti at Cruel Dubai. Well, we've been waiting a little while, but he is here now, I'm delighted to say, after two and a half decades at the very top. Ten times champion National Hunt trainer Paul Nichols is with us in the studio. Paul, great to see you and thank you for coming in. You are, of course, a busy man, and Sunday, invariably one of your busiest days, so I'm very grateful for it. And I would imagine always a bit of a pressure day after all the excitement of Saturday as well. Yeah, Sundays is always a busy day, and I, I was also brought up by David Barons for never telling me Sunday mornings in the office, spend the time talking to all your owners, the owners you haven't spoken to, which I've always tried to do, but yeah. it's got harder and harder and harder now with Sunday racing with so much going on, and Sunday is essentially a busy day. Well, it's great, it's great to see you, great to have you with us. It, it's been another good weekend for you, and it's a, the latest in a succession of good weekends. It seems as though the depth of quality at Ditchard is, is really starting to consolidate now and sort of get you back to where you want it to be. Yeah, we've got some really nice young horses. It's, you know, taken quite a lot of rebuilding and we'll continue to do so. Um, 
and it's, you know you have to be patient. I hardly had any runners in the summer. I think we'd had five winners, something like that, by the middle of October, and we're on 44 now, or 43. I forget what it is. We've had a really good run, but you just got to be patient and try and you know find some really nice young horses and keep building for the future. I mean, it's got so competitive out there at the moment, trainer wise and buying wise. Remember, it's hard to get it get it right, and you just got to be patient. I mean, I said you've you been champion <clears throat> trainer ten times because memorably the first time you were champion trainer, you got the better of that extraordinary tussle with Martin mm. Pike, which was kind of the the narrative mm. of the first part of your career in a way. Do you feel more competition now? Are there more better trainers now than there were back then? Yeah, there are, without a shadow of doubt, and, and most of them have been through my hands or Nicky Henderson's hands of the recent. As you look at, you know, Dan Skelton, Harry Fry. Um, Anthony Hannibal, I think, is very good, and the lads have been through Nicky, and obviously Colin Tizard is an exception. Well, Joe spent 10 years with me. You know, all those people got quite a lot of ties to, to ditch it, really, which I'm really proud of, but it's made it very, very competitive. But that's only good for the sport, really. Do you ever, do you ever think you taught them too well? Well, JP once said to me, it was a great comment, he said, remember, young man, teach them well, but don't teach them everything you know. And it's a really good comment. Um, but I, I can't help myself, really, because I'm, I'm always quite open. So, you know, if they've been spent time in Ditcher with me and Clifford, they're, they're hopefully going to learn an awful lot. You mentioned <coughs> your, your openness. You, you're quite a heart-on-sleeve sort of mm. person, aren't you? you? Everything's out there. Mm. If you, if you want to say something, generally speaking, you'll say it. And people like that strikes me, they either get on very well in life or they get on mm. incredibly badly. What's your secret to having got on well calling a spade a spade if you need to. It's just got to be positive and just aim forward. You know, we get lots of setbacks during this game and in life you just got to be positive and look forward. And I've always tried to be a positive person. Um, you know, you often put your head on the block and often gets chopped off, but you just got to be positive. And, and everyone around you, I always feel, is positive then, from the horses to your staff and hopefully everyone with you. And who, who do you think gave you that confidence as a person initially? Um, I, I presume, there are lots of people really, but I presume that as much as anything, because he's got a positive guy, same as me, you know, he, he never holds back, and um, I suppose, you know, that's, that's come out of me, and, you know, lots of people have helped me, I mean, probably from the business and setting up training, Paul Barber's probably helped me more than anybody, Hawley, he was a great businessman, he's been a great friend, and he, he so many things he, he said to me along the way when I started have just always, you know, helped me, you know. What um, sort of thing? Well, um... One of the first things he's always said to me, remember, it's a business. First and foremost, what you're doing is running a business, and lots of people rely on you for their livelihood and everything. So you've got to make your business work, and everything else will follow. And I always used to say, you know, um, always be positive, as I've ever said, isn't it? One of his great things, any decision is better than no decision. Just make a decision. Just that he's always been there to help with little ideas, you know, and, um, and it's, it's, he has been the big help to me. In, in lots of ways, not just you know with the with the biz, with the horses, but just as helping me be positive in what I do and, and running a business. Because it's the famous story that you wrote to him when yeah. you put an advert yeah. in the in the paper saying he had a vacancy for a, a training yard, which was yeah. how many boxes? Just a handful. Was, of, I think there was twenty eight boxes there at the time. Twenty eight yeah. boxes, and you wrote to him, and you know you mm. were retiring from riding, mm. and could I come and do this? Yeah. You were obviously something of a self starter to be able to take the initiative to do that. Well, I I had broken my leg. Um, and I'd spent two years as, as assistant to David Barons and Jenny Barons down in, in Devon, and we just won the Grand National with Seagram, and I'd had instrumental in helping and being part of that team, and I really enjoyed the, that side of it ever more than I did riding. Um, and I just felt, after Seagram won the National, I was probably, Kingsbury's gone as far as I was going to go, and I, I, I wanted to, to start training. Obviously, I had no money at all. I didn't know quite how to do it. And, I was just kept reading, picking up the Racing Post every day, and one, one I think Saturday morning, uh, Dad rang me and said, have you seen the advert in the Racing Post, or Sport and Life, whatever it was, and there was this box in a yard in Ditchit, 28 boxes, and it said successful applicant would have the su support of the landlord, and that was Paul Barber. So I was on the phone, I, I must have phoned him at past seven in the morning, the first thing he said to me, what kept you? <laughs> and I said, well, I've, I've just literally opened the Racing Post up, and I was up there the next day, and... Uh, um, spent um, you know the morning with Paul and said convinced him that in your dreams one day I'll be champion trainer and there's there's 20 boxes here now and if I could do it right I'll be 100 boxes I've never trained a, a winner but I'm going to make it work and I don't know luckily enough he saw something in me there say take it on it's funny <clears> I can <throat> see you smiling and, and almost grinning mm. at the memory of it as if as if you that was a really important moment for you it was sort of epiphany in your life that suddenly you you sort of felt this is this is what I'm destined to do but a completely life changing thing for me to to start there um, if I hadn't that hadn't come up and you know 
I don't know where I'd have been. And it was just one of those things that has snowballed from nothing to where we are now. And it was that was the most important thing that's ever happened to me, being able to go to ditch it. I mean, you say how happy you felt suddenly be, being a trainer, and you'd enjoyed mm. being involved with Seagram and preparing him for the Grand National. Is, was that a sharp contrast to how much you didn't enjoy being a jockey, in a sense? Well, the, the hardest thing when I was riding was obviously I struggled with my weight, and I mean, literally used to eat nothing, and it, it was just like it used to get you down. And I think it was 31 and 32 years ago, yesterday, I won the Hennessy Gold Cup. Yeah. And I think the first year, it was 10, 5 or 6, and the second year might have been 10 stone 8. And there I'd spent is. sort of like two or three months literally not eating, sweating. And it, you, and it was it was nice to ride with a good horse like that, but I just hated every minute because of the, the, the dieting and the, and the not eating. And once I had to pack up because I broke my leg, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me. And that's why I called my, my book, actually, Lucky Break. It was the yeah. fact that if I hadn't broken my leg, I may not have been training. It must have driven you crackers. Uh, in the head, dieting for, it, it, for, for yeah, long periods of time. It, I mean, how did you keep yourself in, in, in sort of one piece mentally? Just the thought of riding the odd horse like this and broad teeth and the, the few that I had to ride for David and Jenny and, and working hard, really. And, um, I mean, it was, it, to be honest, I always thought you, it, it's like I always used to think to myself, you're permanently feeling ill. Mm. That's how it was. And no energy. But somehow you got out there and... You, you know, you wouldn't, I couldn't do those lightweights very often, perhaps once or twice a week. Really, 11 stone to 11 stone 5 I found easy, but anything under 11 stone I really had to really struggle at, and you couldn't have done that every day. Those early <clears> days <throat> at, at, at Ditchit, would you look back on that now and, and think they were some of the happiest times you've had? Um, I mean, they were hard to start with, because mm. I, I literally end, had nothing to start with. I, 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 I think I put everything I had sort of made riding, which wasn't a lot, into the business and worked hard and had, had to make it work. And the first nine years were really tough, um, which anybody starting up a business is, is going to be hard. And, um, you know, I was always in a hurry, and it, it wasn't, you know, happening. I remember the first seven or eight years I was training going to Cheltenham, Coming back from Cheltenham, mad because I've not had a winner. And he looked at me and I think, well, no wonder I didn't have a winner with horses. You're running. You're trying to, you know, run horses. And I was just in too much of a hurry. It was always training some nice winners, but it wasn't until 99, really, the flagship Uber, Alice, Call Equinome, and Seymour Business when those three big races, it all changed. You see, this is really interesting because <clears> I, I remember that time pretty well. And everybody thought you were the next big thing. You mm. were the up-and-comer. Mm. You were doing really well. You were up there in the mm. sort of top five mm. or ten of the trainers. You were inching your way up. But was it the case that in your own mind you were thinking, I'm not doing well enough, I yeah. need to be I need to be at the top already, I need to be at the top oh, already? Yeah, definitely. I was, you know, I wanted to be, you know, yeah, of course you do. That's what drives you, really. In a lot of ways in sport is you want to, you want to try and get to the top. And, um, you know, I, I wanted to, first I wanted to train a Cheltenham winner, and secondly I wanted to try and, I had in my mind I'd love to be champion trainer one day. Oh, oh, was there anyone kind of calming you down and just saying you're all right, you're all right, you're on the right, you're on the right track, yeah, or, or are you uncalmable? No, not really. Dad and Paul Barber really had, would always say to me. Um, Dad was always enthusiastic like me, and, and Paul was always sort of had that common influence on me. Um, but you know, you've got to be enthusiastic and yeah. try hard and, and aim. Um, otherwise, you don't get there. Right? That's all I've always thought that, and and just hope those good horses come along and. And thankfully, that when I had Colac and then you know, Flagship Ubralis in Seymour Business, mm. when the, you know the Arkle, the Champion Chase, and the Gold Cup in the week was just like astonishing. Lucky to have them, and that that set, up, set us on the way then, really, because there's nothing like good horses that yeah. get you going and get. And all of a sudden, after that, the phone was ringing, and horses were coming from all directions. This is Seymour Business's mm. Gold Cup. I mean, he was. He was absolutely brilliant from this race for yeah. about another year after this. Yeah. There was a really good yeah. sequence of, of performances yeah. from him. What characterised this horse? Well, he was just tough. He wasn't very big, but he was, he was very, very hard. The blinkers transformed him because it made him concentrate, made him brave. You know, he won two King Georges, a couple of Charlie Halls, I think, and, and the Cheltenham Gold Cup and was placed in the Gold Cup right up until he was 13. He was tough and sound and, was, you know, he was what I liked. You know, he thrived on work. You could get him fit and... You know, this was a great day and great for Mick as well. You know? and, yeah. and obviously Paul Barber, you know, that, that one is ambition coming in the race and all he, 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 everything he's ever done in buying horses is to try and win a, win a gold cup. So everybody involved and John Keithley was with him. This was a big day. And a muscular ride from Mick Fitzgerald. And at that time he was in his pomp as well and yeah. there was nobody better around <clears> Cheltenham. No, and of course Mick won the champion chase the day before yeah. on call Equinone for us and, you know, Mick was you know the peak of his career at the time and um, he's a good friend now and 
it was good to have two winners with Mick riding them. When did you think you were a good trainer? Um, it, you don't always think that. You just you, you're positive, and you always think you've got good ideas. You need a good team around you. Um, one of the things Paul Barber has always said to me from the start was delegate, my boy, delegate. You need a good team. Mm. And you sort of put lots of things in together. And the team I always think is quite good. It's not just about mm. me. There's a team. I've always said team ditcher is a thing, and it is about a team. So you need a good team around you to, to be good. And you've got to keep having a good team. And that's from horses, owners, staff, jockeys. So you have to have a good team to make sure you're good. But you're the one that has to pick the team, yeah. and it's your name on the license, yeah. and it's you that's having to bear yeah. all the pressure that, that goes yeah. along with it, however, mu however much fun that is. What do you look for in a person to work with? What, I mean, you, you've got Clifford Baker, for example, who's been your, your essentially your right hand for donkey's years and has been through so many of the good times with you. You brought Dan Skelton on, you've had Harry Fry work for you. What, do any of these people share common attributes that you really warm to in a person? Yeah, they work hard, they're enthusiastic, and they want to win. All of those guys, you know. You look at Dan, look at Harry... Um, I mean, look at Joe Tizard as well, you know, he's part of their big team, they all want to win, they all want to do it right, which is what Cliff and I have always wanted to do, and Clifford is, you know, he's been with me about 20 odd years or more now, I mean, he's just like me, same age as me, same work ethic, never stops, just wants winners and wants everything to be right, and, and, and have a good team around you and make it all happen for everybody. Are you a hard taskmaster? Yeah, I, I think I probably am. I think because you have to be, because it's, it's a hard ta The whole thing's a hard. You have to work hard. Um, you, you want things to do right, so you have people around you that want to work hard. And all those guys we mentioned are all hard workers. And yeah, because you know you want it done right. If you're working hard 24-7, you want it done right. But I guess, I guess the environment that you have to create in a racing stable now is very different mm. from the environment that you went into when you were 16, 17, yeah. 18. It'd be worlds apart, wouldn't it? Yeah, oh, totally different. Um, now, I mean, it started with those days, and no one trained so many horses. We're all mm. training, you know, a lot more horses. I think in the days of Fred Winter and Fort Wall and Fred Ryman, all those guys probably trained 50 or 60 horses. We're all now training 130, 140 horses, which is, which is a big thing. Um, so yeah, it is a lot harder, but you, you never stop learning how to make, adapt and make things work. You have to keep, keep learning all the time. Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Cruel Dubai. You've been listening to the Luck on Sunday podcast, the weekly digest of the best bits from Luck on Sunday, the programme that brings you the best guests and insights from around the racing world.